If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Change Physician Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukaro, with my co-host, Dr. Melissa Katie, and today's fantastic guest, Dr. Lamia Boric. Dr. Boric is a hematologist oncologist who is living the locum's life. It has an amazing story, though, and with a lot of lessons for physicians who are trying to perhaps find a way to find a meaningful career path in a way that is true to yourself um, and true to your profession. So Lamia, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on The Change Physician. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, I gave a little bit about your background here. And normally what we would do is we would say, well, why did you go into medicine? But for you, I want to go a couple steps further and say, could you just tell us about those early life experiences and then how those led to you going into medicine? So what, what is your background? Where does your story start? Well, I was born in former Yugoslavia, a country that was uh, called Yugoslavia. And then uh, because of uh, unfortunate uh, circumstances in the war, uh, about 25 years ago, changed into a what is now a region with, with six different countries. Um, I was born in um, what used to be a, a republic within Yugoslavia called Bosnia. And I had a pretty good childhood for, um, you know, for, for, there, there was there was no tremendous poverty. We were all pretty much uniform. My father was a physician, mother was a teacher, but you know we we were uh, doing really well uh, financially. The, the, the society was organized in in a, in a slightly different way compared to uh, the rest of the world. Where, um, for example, my father said that sometimes um, he would mention how some night guards were paid more than him because uh, physicians were sort of in a public service. So bus drivers, physicians, teachers were paid at a similar uh, rate. And so everyone was sort of middle, lower middle class um, level. And so I never saw kids who had more than me or much less than me. So it was a pretty um, typical uh, childhood. Uh, when I was 14, I witnessed history unfold. And uh, for six months of uh, 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 turmoil led to eventual um, fleeing the area where I was born, the town of Mostar into Croatia, where I uh, ended up a refugee with my family for three and a half years. And that was, uh, I mean, that was tremendous. You know, I was 14 and 15. And, and, and by the time we entered the United States, I, I turned 18. But those are the formative years during which I experienced uh, uh, a lot of uh, really difficult thing for a teenager to deal with uh, from just poverty and, and periods where I didn't have uh, anything to eat for several months to daily subtle humiliation and uh, the feeling of not really being a fully human, uh, the, 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 the degradation that one feels when they, you don't have your own country and you don't have your papers and, and so on. And, um, and, 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 and that was actually partly, there was a time when I buried myself in books. I actually can thank that experience for, you know, a healthy uh, defense mechanism of studying a lot, which helped me with medical school later. Um, and um, 
so so that's the that's the the, the circumstances that that kind of uh, formed me and and uh, and 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 eventually uh, led to me coming to United States as a, as a, as a refugee also, um, where we could start a life with a little bit more dignity and a little bit more um, uh, hope. So did that, um, I mean, you had a, uh, your father was a physician and you had those experiences and you go into books to kind of hide from these, the external world, which is kind of ugly. Was that where you found an interest in medicine then? Or? I, actually, I, I wanted to be a scientist. Ever since I was a little girl, I, I had an interest in astronomy and biology and, and botany, and I wanted to, to be a scientist. But when I became a refugee, that, that, that dream became almost unattainable. I felt like that was for some privileged kids from the West. And, uh, and, and the other thing is I, I saw a lot of human suffering and I, my mother was volunteering in refugee camps and I would go with her and uh, we, we were living in a, in a most of the time we were not in a refugee camp, but, but we were kind of connected with people in, in these camps. And, and I, I felt as a physician, I could make more of a difference with some immediate, more tangible um, outcome rather than a scientist. And so there was this humanitarian goal that, that, that seemed sort of more mature at the time compared to when I was 12, when I wanted to be an astronomer, for example. But I think there's something else there. And you know, I thought about this a lot and I, I think a lot of people don't really understand their motives for going into medicine. Um, medicine has the promise of, it's a noble career. You know, it promises stability and a position in society and maybe a safety and some um, calm that some people never had when they were children. And being a refugee, I mean, that was a perfect antidote to that dehumanization that one feels when they're a refugee. And so I think underneath that, I didn't even know that subconsciously perhaps what pushed me to it was not just this humanitarian goal, which seems all noble and wonderful, but it was this need to become respected, to, to, to go for that safety, which ultimately you, you, you may not find in a career that is very difficult and can be very challenging. And so that's a trap for a lot of people who had difficult childhoods. But with that in parallel, Humans are complex, brains are complex. You can never have one singular goal or desire. It's, it's always, there always has to be conflict, right? So with that, I, I still held that, held on to a dream of being a scientist. And so I thought, well, maybe I can go to medicine, have this stability and this stable, you know, stable career and income. Cause even if you graduate from the worst medical school and you are the worst, you know, grades, you're still a doctor. And so there was a certainty there but maybe I can become a scientist. Maybe I can still do that. You know, maybe I could find a lab, an excellent mentor, and I do this, you know, teaching science and medicine all at the same time. That, that was the, the, the underlying goal. And when you then uh, immigrated to the United States and then you started pursuing this medical track, were, when you entered medical school, did that kind of confirm what your expectations were or was that a different environment than you were anticipating? Well, every time life became good uh, and, and I was in a really nice rotation with a nice attending, I would start wondering, you know, why am I not doing a PhD? You know, I would start knocking on doors and talking to people. Hey, you know, I, I wanna spend some time in your lab. But then I would do like an ICU rotation next and I would, be completely destroyed with sleep deprivation or, and, and I thought, well, how could I think of doing research with this? Then the next rotation was some geriatric outpatient, wonderful. And I would be like, oh my God, this neurology is fascinating. 
let me go talk to this attending and see if I can do some research in my third year. So it, it was always this like back and forth. It was like, you get a little bit of time and then and you want to do this wonderful thing, but then you're beaten down by the system in the next rotation. <laughs> and how did that influence your decision then to go into uh, hematology oncology? Well, that was, you know, Hemonc has a lot of new therapeutics. Um, I was a biochemistry major at the University of Washington. Uh, there seemed to be a connection and the easiest path to doing molecular, some kind of molecular biology or um, uh, genetics, um, you know, um, the research that, that could be um, applied to new drug development and actual treatment of disease from a molecular standpoint. To me, it seemed like the, the easiest, um, most interesting specialty, but um, also most challenging in, in so many other ways. I, I don't know why Hemonk, there's a lot of that happens in subconsciousness. I, I think now I'm understanding why it was actually a good choice for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I just couldn't think of anything else uh, once I was in my later part of residency. Um, but my dream of research actually started dying in my first year of internship, in my internship, first year of residency, and actually finally died. The coffin, you know, the final nail on that coffin was the last year of fellowship when I realized that it was just a dream, that it's just, it's not possible to do. And so it, it took a long time for that to die. <laughs> so it's interesting, you, you kind of, in you just bring up the point that, you know, things change or interests change, um, have a different lens we look through. You obviously had a, a unique lens starting out before you even went into your medical training, but where you're at now, it's kind of a two-part question. What is it that you love the most um, about the Hemonc work that you do and how has it evolved um, through this process? Wow, that's, that's jumping many years <laughs> into the future. <laughs> um, well, it, it, it's still evolving. Um, it, it's, we're constantly changing as, as humans. What, what I found in, in practice, uh, I, I worked as a full-time permanent uh, hemonc uh, with uh, sort of a more focus on breast cancer for about four years in a very busy practice. Um, and um, during that time, I, I find my, found myself burning out and really not, not finding meaning in my work. So there was no research, uh, there was no humanitarian work. There was, there was very little time for myself. I, I had a, a I, 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 I wanted to start a family during that time, you know, <laughs> which was interesting. I was 39, I was, you know, so I was older. Um, and so there I was pregnant, you know, on call. Uh, it, 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 was, it was a difficult time. And, and I thought, well, you know, I, I really don't like this. I, I don't want to do this as a career. And, and not only that my research dream died, now my career dream is dying. I mean, what's the point? So I am accumulating money, but I'm spiritually, I'm dying. I, I, I just, when this child is born, I thought, how am I gonna have any time for this child or energy, even if I did have time? And um, just as an example, I actually have this little book here and, and I was writing the most, because I thought I was gonna leave medicine. So I wanted to write down, you know, why so that I don't regret it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have here 
a page from February 25th, 2017, Weekend Call, which lasts for, from 5 p.m. on Friday until 8 a.m. And it happens uh, either a week or a weekend call every month, one call. So either five days or, or three days. And so here is, here is the actual number of calls that I got. So I'm just gonna just briefly read some of it. 5.01 nurse, 5.01 p.m., 5.14 ER doc, 5.29 consult doc, 5.35 consult, 6.11 ER doc, 7 doctor, 7.09 nurse, 7.48 hospice nurse, 8.13 nurse, 8.31 nurse, 8.42 nurse, 9.02 patient, 9.13 lab calling for critical value, 9.32 patient, 10.01 lab, now going to Saturday, 12.19 a.m., nurse, 2.37 a.m. nurse, 3.27 a.m. nurse, 5.21 nurse, 5.36 a.m. nurse, 7.21 nurse. And so 86 phone calls in 63 hours, 34 nursing calls, 23 patient calls, and 38 after hours, almost half were after hours. And so I was six months pregnant during this, and this, this was absolutely... Uh, uh, I mean, it, it just derailed me, you know, the amount of night work, not to mention the other frustrations with the practice, it, not this practice, but in general, you know, the, the amount of redundant work, the long hours, the lack of time for patients. And so I was looking for meaning and, and I, I just couldn't find it. I, 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 I recognized this burnout too late. And so I thought I was going to do local tenants for, for a year, maybe, you know, collect myself, figure out what this is all about, find a different career. I mean, I was thinking of maybe real estate or something like that, you know, I just needed out. But then when I started doing local tenants, I actually, after some time off, I realized how much I loved my work. And I wouldn't admit it to myself. I, I would like come to work and think, this is not, this is not me. Why, why am I, is it the money? You know, th this can't be happening. I mean, after all of this, now you have to change your story. I mean, you're changing your story. So I would have these conversations with myself. Like, what is it that you like about this? You know, it's like, it's like you're, you're in a marriage and you're nearing divorce and you hate this person's guts. And the next day you really want to be with that person. It's like, what, what's wrong with you? And so, <laughs> so what happens to me is I think I, I found what I was looking for. I found more autonomy, which is, I think, what we all need to craft your own schedule. So like I had a high school reunion and then I needed to have a, a, a conference. And so I wanted to do all these things and you can never do this in permanent practice. You know, you, you're always catching up. You, you can't hold all the balls in the air, you know, at one time. So it, it's incredibly frustrating when you can't take that time off. And then I had more time to achieve mastery to, you know how for perfect jobs, they talk about autonomy, mastery and meaning. Mastery CME, continuing medical education, I was able to, to prepare for the boards and triple boarded. You know, a lot of people are not because they don't have time. I, I do CMEs all the time. I enjoy it. I want to be competent. I want to be a good physician. And then um, I found myself really enjoying spending time with patients. You know, hospitals will call me for a consult and they will say sometimes, oh my God, I don't know how you do this. You know, you, you just see death all day, you know, as an oncologist, like, how can she do this? And, and how do you stay sane? And I'm thinking half of my half of my daily visits are probably metastatic disease, people who are dying, who are facing existential issues. And I found myself really enjoying having these conversations, helping people understand where, where what, what are your goals and, and how, how, what do you want to do with the tools that we have in medicine? without feeling pressured to sell them the idea that they should be or shouldn't be on a certain drug. 
but just kind of explore them. And, and as a local tenants, I have the time because I know that if I go home at 7 p.m. that night, you know, the assignment is ending in three weeks. I could be up for the next three weeks with all these patients and I'll still be fine because I know I have a month off coming up. And so this, this really helped me uh, not feel so pressured for time and feel very valued by the practices that are missing physicians. You know, I'm currently in a place that lost seven oncologists in one year, and everyone is extremely grateful to have me there. And so psychology, basically what I'm doing is psychology. I'm exploring the human condition, which is what, I, what I've always loved. So I found my niche, I found my thing, and I, I, I just love, I love it. But I, I want to have the time and I want to have the autonomy to do it. Yeah. You know, I just want to make a comment off just the awareness that you had. Um, and just just for you to actually take a moment to have the conversation with yourself and to realize that, you know, you almost you had to put yourself in a place, in a position to experience something different, to even have the potential to understand that it was more of autonomy and it's amazing how the feeling can change if you just create a different environment, but um, having that awareness that you were having a different experience uh, because but I of still think if I, if I went into a full-time permanent practice now, for example, with this awareness, I'm going in and I know, you know, I love it and everything, the same problems will, mm -hmm. will happen. And, and now I know that, that the system is somewhat abusive and, and you can't, unless you find a very unique situation, you, you just can't be in a permanent job and, and, and have that kind of autonomy that, that is required to, to be excellent, at least for me. I, because I, the other thing is I have a lot of outside interests, hobbies and friends and I'm European. And when I talk to my physician friends overseas, they all have all these weeks of vacation and, and they're spending time at the, at the PTO and, and they have three year maternity leaves. And so, when you, when you have that to, to compare your life with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm envious, I, I want to have that lifestyle. And so I, I think I, I found it. Um, one of the problems with local tenants, however, is that it, it is, there is uncertainty. You, you don't know where you're going to be six months or a year from now. And if you're good, you know, they, there is a lot of options and, and, and currently I'm booked for a year, but if you, if you don't, a lot of people talk about, well, how do you know how much you're gonna make at the end of the year? And for a lot of people who are, um, who have a very expensive lifestyle that can be challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. yeah that, that, it, it, there's so many places to go with that, but, um, cause that touches on the, the golden or platinum handcuffs of being a physician and the importance of understanding, you know, what, what, what is your lifestyle and what is required to maintain that? Cause I, I do think there's a lot of physicians that have, artificially created extra stressors that they don't need on a stressful career that something is already stressful. You don't add on to it by making yourself into debt. The other part is just a comment. On, you know, I'm, I'm hearing, you know, you know, you're, you found joy in practice again. And what you needed was a break so that you could decompress. Right. And then you can re-engage. And then you, you're having these blocks of times. Like, cause, cause I want to ask you, you know, that call, that, that weekend call where you had whatever, 86 calls in 63 hours. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that you are probably still having very busy calls and busy days in your local practice. Is that, am I, am I correct there or? Yes and no. Um, 
the, the good thing about locum tenens is that you can choose where to have your call. And so I know that I'm not gonna pick a position that pays the same, but is expected of me to do this kind of call. And uh, a lot of locum tenens positions are in rural areas, smaller hospitals, which uh, are usually, you know, I had to cover at times nine hospitals when I was on call. Um, in, in uh, uh, Salt Lake City uh, on the weekend. Not all had patients, but there were calls coming in from a lot of different places. But now I'm in a, you know, a small town with one hospital. So uh, I never wanna experience call like this again. I think it's, it's psychologically very detrimental. It's not good for my patients and it's not good for me. And, and I think there should be, these practices should really reevaluate how they do things. So I, I pick and choose, you know, I, I can call physicians who work there and ask them, how many calls do you get? You get down to the nitty gritty of what you're going to be doing in, in one hour conversation with someone and you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. So it's like looking for a new job every time you start an assignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, calling the shots. And um, I think yeah. I can, I can totally agree that part-time locums, if you don't, you have a high standard or cost of living uh, can be uh, amazing. Um, and you may not know, but I do part-time independent work where it's almost like I feel like I'm locums, but I kind of, you can be selective. Like you said, I select the two surgeons that I want to work with <laughs> right. and that's it. And no call. And, and why should you be able to do that? Yeah. Why, why not? Um, yeah. Well, this, this brings up a theme like so so Melissa and I had many episodes and there and awareness comes coming up again like being aware being aware being consciously aware of these things and what this is bringing into focus really is is, is idea of perceived control like being able to understand what the boundaries are because those blur so much I think in many medical practices and in many ways I think they're intentionally blurred mm -hmm. but you have you know what you have been able to do with with your locum's life is really to set those firm boundaries and when we have those endpoints and those guidance um, our ability to uh, cope is is significantly improved yes and you know, I agree with you it's like why can't, why can't we build this I mean, there's the business concerns and everything like that, but I'm, I'm looking at that. You have a, a, a practice that lost seven oncologists in a year. Yes. And now are they hiring locum tenants who are more expensive? I mean, there's, yes. you're not seven of you, or maybe there are, but why aren't healthcare systems thinking about this in new and different ways of changing, you know, compensation schedules and in, in improving this like, dynamic of physicians having more choice and meaning rather than, throwing everybody into the, you know, the similar template model, burning them out and then getting a locum <laughs> for twice or two or three times as much as they were normally paying a salary. It's just kooky. You no, know, yeah. honestly, I think physicians are to blame. I, I, think <laughs> are, it? <laughs> I think we are as a, as a collective, uh, pretty brainwashed with mm -hmm. the narrative that starts in, in infancy and starts in utero. You know, you're born to a, a family and you, there's expectations and then you go to school and you study. You might have an adverse uh, event in your life as a child or a refugee or whatever. You bury yourself in books. You want to please everyone. You want to belong. And then you come to residency. That's major torture. You know, you're, you're put through sleep deprivation. And, and then there's a student loan that you have to pay off in the United States. I had to pay off 268000 dollars in, in, in student debt, which you, you have to work. And, and over time, it becomes a habit, it becomes your normal, it becomes normal. And we normalize 
uh, lack of sleep, uh, lack of uh, paying attention to your health, your body. Most of the physicians I work with are either depressed or obese, or they have failed marriages, or they have substance abuse issues. And we all know about so suicide rates. And uh, people are extremely unhappy. And um, you know, some of these oncologists, I, I go to these practices, they look like that they are on chemotherapy and not the patients, you know, that's how tired they are. And um, I think it's really sad. And, and the ones who are doing well are the ones who go into like administration and they become a part of the system. They, so so the, it might not be the amount of hours that, that people work. It might be just the perceived control and who's, who's exploiting whom, who's plundering here and, and, and taking, taking advantage of somebody's labor. And if you don't stand up for yourself and you draw the line and you say, this is where I end and this is where the system begins. Uh, if you don't know how to do that, or if you're not a slave to the lifestyle or your spouse who needs you to make X amount of money, you know, to, to impress whoever they need to impress, or, or you just need to do this for yourself, then that, 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 that's a problem. So I think, I think physicians, we, we need to wake up as a collective and, and understand what's happening to the profession. I think we're, we're, we are letting ourselves, uh, we're selling ourselves right. to an exploitative system. Yeah, I think there's another point too on everything that you said is that people, I, I see this around me and I, I've been a victim of it myself and seen others, but if a physician decides to go part-time or they happen to have children or it could be a male that doesn't have children that wants to go part-time because I love other things, there's a part of our culture that kind of sneers at it, that looks at it in a negative light as if you're less than. And I think it should be totally the other way around. Like if you recognize that for your wellness and or for your own life and what you want, you still can give back in medicine you know, you can have more of you to give if you're working part-time or not quite as hard and as far as the time commitment or, you know, people telling you what you can or cannot do. But if you give them the autonomy to make those choices, to have flexibility in their schedule, I think we would have an, a, a totally different medical system. Um, but I, I think a lot of physicians who leave, because I, I know a number of physicians who left their practices. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I completely agree. But, um, you know, the, the, the pattern in these practices, I, I, I as a locum, I, I leave and they hire a new graduate and they're eager to work full time and give 110% because that's what they all, that, that's all they know, right. how to impress the superiors. And then they have their student loans and they're starting families. And so there's, there seems to be an endless supply of, of these young, eager physicians that I always sort of say goodbye to in these practices. And until that is changed, I don't think there's going to be a lot of change in the system yeah yeah there's definitely well, yeah. until until the system can't find a body right <laughs> a warm body, <laughs> a warm body. Yeah. And that's, and that is, and I don't think that just like you were, you were saying earlier, I don't think that will change too much until more and more physicians and particularly early career physicians start recognizing what those boundaries are. And I, I you know, Melissa, that's sort of the reason that we started the change physician was to encourage physicians to have this mindset and to understand their worth. Um, because no one else is going to do it for you. <laughs> you know, that's, right. that's like the, the critical, critical point with that. But um, well, I, I, I we're, we're running a little bit low. I want to be respectful of your time, but what I was wondering if Dr. Borich now was, was counseling young Dr. Borich 
and you can choose when you can either choose medical school, residency, fellowship, early practice. What is the pieces of advice that you would give her uh, that either kind of pull her forward or, um, or pr to create a better environment for her in, or even just information that would help her through those difficult times that she went through? You know, it's, it's really hard to go back and, and because I was a different person 20 years ago. And so it, it's hard to sit a new graduate, you know, new undergraduate and tell them, look, he, this is really not for you. Or, But I think what people need to keep in mind as they are making their decisions is um, think, about, think about your family. Think about when you want to start your family. A lot of women, uh, friends of mine who were pre-med, there, there was not on our radar, you know, oh, I'm not, I don't want to have a kid, you know, that's not really that important, but it really is. And it really hits you when you're in fellowship and all of these things are happening at the same time. It's really hard for women. There's this clock ticking and this is so important, so important. And people seem to ignore it so much. And, it, and, it, and so think about medicine as a career and motherhood. I mean, I'm not trying to, but for men also, I mean, do you want to be a good father? Do you want to be a present? present father in the in the life of this child so and then think about who you are and 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 and, and your spirituality like you know I wanted to I, I wanted to become uh, I was always very athletic and I wanted to become maybe semi-professional maybe a triathlete and that goal I, I never reached medicine just does not allow you to reach certain goals outside of medicine and so think hard about whether you want to do medicine at all and then if you do medicine, go in it knowing what to expect, that there's going to be hard uh, years ahead with very little time for yourself, um, much less for your family. And so pick a specialty that, 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 that is a, is, it, it fits you and your personality better. Don't ignore yourself in the process until the system changes. And I don't know if that will ever happen. Um, maybe, you know, if, if more people uh, speak their minds and are true to themselves and value their health and their time off and their autonomy a little bit more. Yeah, but again, I think having, if you're making sure that you choose a specialty that you are interested and passionate about, I, I, I do think then that allows you then and don't forget the, your autonomy. I guess that's the other part I would probably add on to that is because like you were saying, is you're going to go through that difficult process where that they're going to try to beat that autonomy out of you. Where unless you are remembering uh, when you finish fellowship that, you know, once you're out, once you're done, and once you have your license and you've passed your boards, you have a lot more autonomy than, than, um, people will ever want you exactly. to know. <laughs> yeah. And then there are some people who really are, very, you know, enjoying what they're doing. I know some surgeons who, you know, want to work, you know, 60 hour weeks are fine. And, and, and that's, that's fine. You know, if that's what you are, but, but really just ask yourself, I, I think people need to look under the hood, you know, before medical, I think everyone should do some, some psychology, you know, maybe some counseling just to kind of look deep, deep down inside. And what is your actual motivation for medicine? You know, what are, are you just so insecure that you need to do this so that you like, cause, cause you're going to, and you think you're empathic. Well, that might be just being super sensitive because you're traumatized, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you think you have empathy. No, you're just sensitive. You know, you just need to like, know your boundaries a little better. And so medicine is like a setup for an even worse disaster. Um, 
before, you know, so some people, and it, it, it's a good way to, I mean, the system will lose physicians if wrong people go into medicine. But even if you're completely wrong for medicine, you can still find yourself if you build yourself. There's an endless potential in human neuroplasticity and, and potential for change. So it's all good, you know, it's all good. But, but I think doing some, looking under the hood before medical school application, I think it's very important. <laughs> Like, like buying a car. <laughs> well, that, I think you just nailed it on the end there. And especially uh, as a female, I think there's a lot of other things to think about too, and what you want to create in your life, uh, but it goes for men as well. And I think you just helped hone in on not just creating the career you want, but help create the life you want. But you can't do that without knowing who you are or trying to understand those flaws that we might have or the real true interests that we have because the stress and the rigor of medicine itself is going to magnify your issues. And I think the more we can be aware of that and address them or, you know, tailor our lives to who we are. Um, exactly. I think that's spot on. So yeah. thank you. And thank you for, for doing this because this is a perfect forum to help us all grow and understand what is this that we're doing and, and, and why are we in medicine and also maybe help some people on the way. Yeah, that's awesome. Any other uh, questions or comments, uh, Kevin, before I take us out? I think you can take us out. We'll have to have Dr. Boric on for, for more discussions about <laughs> the psychology of being a physician, uh, you know, in, in experiences. But um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to hear thank your you. story. And um, yeah, take us out there, Melissa. All right. Well, this was an awesome discussion with Dr. Borch. This is the Change Physician Podcast. I am Melissa Katie with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the following episode. Thank Take you care. for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.